Chapter 34 Just when it seemed as if I had found the perfect niche which could hold me in place for a protracted period of professional life as an academician, one simple conversation with a former boss of mine at one simple dinner became a turning point for another career to open up, another career. I had had three careers up to now, 1981, and I was not even asking the universe for another one. As I outlined in earlier chapters in this narration of transformative moments in my life, I had prepared for, for instance, and entered the career of priesthood and did that for 18 and a half years of my life. For a second career, I had begun administration full-time when I became director for a NARA program at Tulane University Medical School. And from there, I had graduated to administer a statewide drug abuse program in the state of Louisiana. From there, I went to Kentucky to administer three statewide programs, did that for two years. And from there, I moved to Atlanta to administer a 13 statewide funding program for the federal government. The end of the federal initiative led me to the third career as an academician, the position which I've been describing in the previous chapter. In the blink of an eye, a whole brand new way of life appeared before me like low-lying fruit, as they say, which all I had to do was pick it off the vine. The window of opportunity which opened up grew to assume the proportion of floodgates ushering in what turned out to be 29 adventurous years of my last career before retiring as a self-employed, thanks to the Creator, highly successful, advanced clinical social work psychotherapist. It had all innocuously been, it had started all innocuous, innocuously enough when I had invited an old boss of mine to come to Warden to address our MSW students on behaviorism. That psychological theory had not been taught to us when I had obtained my degree in social work at Tulane School of Social Work. And it was glaringly absent from the Warden two-year master's curriculum as it had been at my alma mater. I previously alluded to the fact that my former boss at Tulane Medical School, Unit of Social Psychiatry, had resigned his full-time teaching faculty position at that school, at that med school, and he resigned but went on the part-time faculty but opened up his own private practice as a behaviorist psychiatrist. I knew that his practicing was thriving there in New Orleans, so that if anyone, I knew that he would contrast behaviorism to the pervasive talk therapies, which were all offshoots of the psychological theory, psychological analysis. I also knew that not all know that not all behaviorism is strictly Skinnerian behaviorism. I knew that it is a fallacy to believe that all behaviorist clinicians follow B.F. Skinner's theory to the letter of the law. That's not the case. Many of the principles, skills, and techniques employed by behavior and cognitive modification specialists are far from dyed-in-the-wool Skinnerian. There exist many, many behaviorist interventions which do not ignore the principle of honoring the will of the individual patient. Skinner's behaviorism does disregard the human will. 
Strict Skinnerian behaviorism employs the Pavlovian dog interventions which disregard the human will. Those were the aspects of behavior and cognitive modification which I envisioned our graduate students learning from a lecture by my friend and ex-boss, the behaviorist psychiatrist. He accepted the invitation to come from New Orleans and to San Antonio. He also accepted our invitation to stay at our home for that one night that he would spend in our fair city. After dinner and after time for catching up on what all we had both been doing during the intervening years, nine to be exact, since we had been, since we had had time to be together, we got into discussing the book which, we was which he was currently writing. He was writing it for clinicians, and so it had to be precise in its instruction. It entailed writing on how to practice the type of behavior and cognitive modification which he practiced and taught as a part-time professor at Tulane University Medical School for the psychiatric residents. The one problem that he acknowledged involved the strict grammarian rules of syntax which one needs to follow when submitting a presentation in published form. He had remembered that part of my classic education had been the study of Latin and Greek and therefore the study of syntax. He went on to say that he could sure use my collaboration in writing of his book precisely because he was weak for he believed that I was strong in my knowledge of syntax. And he was right. He went on to offer to take me in as his partner at the Behavior Therapy Center, where we would meet weekly for me to edit his writing for the proper syntax. He said he could make it worth my while by giving me the equivalency of an internship, just as he had been an intern of the famous Dr. Joseph Wolfe, Wolfe, Wolpe, W-O-L-P-E, M.D., who had taught him behaviorism and cognitive modification. Under his tutelage, I could learn both the theory and the skill to be a behaviorist psychotherapist. Dr. Joseph Wolpe had acquired national acclaim for his development of the psychological intervention known as systematic desensitization. This, that this is, that this is the intervention. This is the intervention which most e effectively enables a person with a phobia to overcome his or her phobic behavior. Many know of the existence of this intervention, but few have the skill in administering it. The prevalent theory before Wolpe developed this intervention was that to be rid of a phobia one first needed to know why or how it started. With Wolpe's intervention, no such search is needed. What makes it a tremendous breakthrough in the treatment of a phobia is that most people who have a phobia have no idea what triggered the phobic response, which has become spontaneously automatic without the person with the phobia having any control over the avoidance behavior which comes with the phobia. They have no idea where it started. So in effect, they have no idea where to start the treatment. I instinctively knew that to be offered an internship to learn how to treat mental disorders through behavior and cognitive modification 
was like being offered a talent of immeasurable wealth. I also instinctively knew that to apply proper syntax to a piece of writing was well within my area of expertise. I had had European scholars who taught me Latin and Greek. So from then, I became facile in syntax. I had been schooled in Latin for six years and in Greek for two years. I didn't feel confident for nothing. My ex-boss and his offer had my head spinning to just think that after my internship's initial phase, I would be a full-time partner at a behavior and cognitive modification center. All of this overwhelmed me. The mere prospect of contributing a significant component to someone's published work just added to the excitement that I was feeling. I did not immediately say yes. I admitted my excitement to his proposition, which to me came straight out of the pure potentiality of the universe. I needed to think it all out and to do so with my wife. By this time, at age 41, I had been through three, not job changes, but engrossing career changes. The careers themselves had been engrossing and the changing from one to another had been most engrossing. Most would concur that a job and a career call for different and separate, distinct species of employment, as it were. The career means containing certification in a given field from an acknowledged authoritative body. And that certification attests to the forging of a composite personality able to contribute meaning to a recognized profession. In a job, someone outlines the script which tells you what to do and how to do it. In a profession, your own discretion dictates how you proceed in carrying out your role in that profession. Besides the three careers which I mentioned being a part of, my being a part of, I had had what I will call patches of clinical experience in treating mental health problems of the individual. I had engaged, for instance, in informal training at the Catholic Counseling Service in El Paso for one entire year. There, the primary treating orientation had been psychological analysis. Our supervising psychiatrist with whom we, the staff, met weekly was an avowed analyst. The director, Father Stephan, and his executive director, Amanda Lancaster, were both trained social workers in the analytic model. The remaining counselors were trained as generic social workers who employed the talk therapies which were heavily influenced by the same analytical method. I worked there for one year. After that, I had been involved for six months in a mental health hospital of the state of Louisiana, where I was exposed to the whole gamut, the whole spectrum of mental health disorders in an inpatient setting. And those went from the simple neurosis to the full-blown, out-of-control psychotic who needed to be in chemical or physical restraint. After that, I jumped into the administrative post of a treatment and rehabilitating program for heavy-duty narcotic addicts. There was also a clinical, there I was also a clinician devising innovative ways and means to treat narcotic addiction. That had gone on for two years. 
And I called these patches of clinical experience because they were either very brief encounters as a clinician or they were in conjunction with much else besides the clinical component. But they, they were separate from the three careers of ecclesiastical, administrative, and academic professions. The offer on the table now promised to be full-time and on a private practice basis and to be self-employed on top of it all. All this offered a career totally distinct from anything I had ever embarked on. Interesting to note that after priesthood, what kept kicking doors open for me was largely my master's in social work and in the social work degree. I clearly needed time to think this out and to do so with my wife. We needed time to review the principal positives in our present situation and the principal negative drawbacks in the current situation. We needed to study what seemed to be the positives and the negatives which we'd lose if we jumped careers once more, or if I jumped them for sure. We needed to carefully review the anticipated positives by going ahead and moving one more time to a brand new field. We needed to assess the negative features of going to that new leap of faith. We needed to view what we were getting into before we made another pure and simple leap of faith. We had completed our renovation of working of our King William home and it had invested considerable amount of emotional and financial resources. We knew we could get our financial investment back, but that was not the principal question. The primary consideration was giving up something of great value to both of us, a home which we grew to love more and more. There was also trading the home in San Antonio, Texas, for home in New Orleans, Louisiana. As much as we had loved our first stay in New Orleans during the first years of our marriage, by now we knew from experience that both cities that of the both cities, our heart and soul resonated more with the southwestern style and cultural bent of San Antonio than the southeastern style and cultural bent of New Orleans. So that would entail a major adjustment if we made the move. I had experienced great, three great growth producing employments while I was there in New Orleans. And the positive emotions connected to that served as a gravitational pull to the southeast. In those three employments, with the Louisiana Mental Hospital, the one with Tulane University Medical School, and my first statewide administration post at LNRC, gave me tons of fuel on which to run in my professional engine of social work for years to come. The pull to stay in San Antonio at Warden was due to the home, as I mentioned, due to the colleagues at Warden, due to the challenge of teaching graduate students, due to the new friends and their genuine friendliness, due to the relatives which we both had here in San Antonio. All of these positives in San Antonio notwithstanding, the allure of being self-employed as a clinical psychotherapist and equipped to do that in behavior and cognitive modification 
was tremendously compelling, to say the least. The grass definitely looked greener over there. There was no way of telling whether my wife was willing to leave the renovated home which she had poured so much emotion into. Being a dyed-in-the-wool ex-military brat, used to packing and moving, enabled her to make the move one more time. The fact that that city had been our original stomping grounds as a married couple persuaded her that life, though different there, had its own allure. And so sadly and paradoxically, gladly, we said goodbye to Warden and to all that it entailed and our four-year-old renovated home and all the excitement that, it, that had engulfed us in that experience. My ex-boss had said that he had an office that was ready to be occupied by a full-time associate at Behavior Therapy Center, 2627 General Pershing Street, New Orleans, Louisiana, zip code 70155, telephone number 504-899-2366. I took the offer and agreed to meet with him on Saturdays to work on the book in progress.